it's easier said than done, but you should just do it because you're, you know, you started your company for a reason. You saw a gap in the market. You've talked to consumers. You saw that there was, you know, something you could do to help them. And you have that passion to even develop a whole company around that. So use that, that core that, that started, that made you start your business as kind of a boost of confidence. Like you're serving people, you have paying customers. So people do value what you bring to the table um, and just do it. Welkom bij Women Disrupting Tech. Mijn naam is Dirk-Jan Hupkes en in deze podcast ga ik op ontdekkingsreis in de wereld van vrouwen in de technologie sector. Ik ga in gesprek met vrouwen die in tech werken of oprichter zijn van een tech startup. Ik ga op zoek naar het antwoord op de vraag hoe zij er wel in geslaagd zijn om succes te hebben. Met andere woorden, hoe zij de technologie sector disrupten. Luister je mee? Hey, welcome back. Today's podcast episode is about my favorite topic, content marketing for startups and scale-ups. And I get a chance to interview Livia Hirsch about this. Now, Livia helps B2B SaaS scale-ups grow their visibility from local to global. And she already helped clients like Lead, Info, Wild Digital and Rentman do this. In this episode, we'll talk about the power of good copywriting and blogging, and we'll explore how these forms of content marketing can benefit startups and scale-ups. We'll also discuss her new workshop in which she helps fellow freelancers find their brand voice. And of course, we'll talk about Livia's own journey in the world of startups and scale-ups. So welcome to Women Disrupting Tech, Livia Hirsch. So welcome, Livia. Uh, the question I always ask at the start of the podcast is how you got into your current job or how you got into your current position. Yeah, well, thank you so much for, for having me on the show. It's really cool to be able to talk about yeah content marketing with you today. Um, so to be honest, it all kind of started off with a passion for creative writing. Um, mm-hmm. It's something I've always enjoyed doing ever since I was a child, um, but until a few years ago, I was kind of clueless about the world of content marketing. Um, I thought if you wanted to write for a living, you had to be an author. Um, Mm. And then I landed an internship at Dept Agency as a content marketing intern. And that internship changed my life. Um, I discovered the world of content marketing and combined that with an amazing mentor who answered all my questions, who gave me so much trust. Um, I flourished pretty much. And so I went from being an intern to part-timer to full-timer once my studies were done. Um, But then when COVID hit, half of my team, including myself, was let go. Um, But many of my colleagues went to work at startups. And when they needed English content, they turned to me. And that's how I discovered the awesomeness of working with founders and growing their content marketing machine from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my focus for the last few years. It's helping Dutch or foreign startups reach international markets via English content and web copy. Cool. You don't have a background in uh, marketing, though. Uh, As I understand it, you have a background in fashion. So how Mm -hmm. does that match up? 
Um, well, in, in my defense, it was business of fashion with a specialization in marketing. So there's minor overlap. But mm -hmm. um, yes, I did study fashion. And what I realized is I do not want to work in that industry. Um, so when I found an internship at an agency, I was really interested. It was something kind of in my field, but also quite different. And so it could have, you know, there's the potential of it being a breath of fresh air. And um, yeah, so with a bit of luck and research, actually, that's how I found my passion for content yeah. marketing, something which I'm not only good at, but also love doing. Okay, well, that's, that is very important. Yeah. Um, you talked about having a mentor. Um, what, what exactly did she or he do uh, to uh, make you flourish? Uh, she gave me, I mean, she trusted me for starters. So mm -hmm. she, there was um, a lot of trust. I remember that there were certain um, certain um, assignments that potentially she just allowed me to have and experiment and do that not everyone would allow an intern, but there was a high level of trust. Um, she gave me a lot of feedback, mm -hmm. which, but I was okay with that. That's how you grow. And she also gave me a lot of patience um, she answered, I mean, I have, I love learning, so I'm always asking questions and, um, yeah, she answered all of them and she allowed me to pick her brain and ask more questions. And I would say, yeah, that was pretty invaluable. Yeah. I can imagine, especially if you're just starting out no. as an intern and later as a part-timer, I can imagine that, uh, the, what was, uh, more important to you, the, the trust or the sort of uh, independent or the, the feedback that you got? Um, I would say the feedback because I like in my writing, she would give me super detailed feedback about the brand voice, about the wording. Like she was borderline nitpicky, but it was helping me, helping me learn a lot. Um, so, you know, she was, she was a quite a harsh critic, but then when you did good things, she would also tell you, Um, mm -hmm. So I would say the feedback and knowing that if I did something, I could always then ask her, okay, so what could I have done differently? What mm -hmm. could I do better? But okay, what went well? Um, yeah, the feedback was invaluable. Okay. So let's go to content marketing. Let's dive in deep. Uh, why is it? Imp uh, why do you think it's important, uh, especially important for startups and scale-ups? How can it help? Well, you know, Content marketing is, is really important because, okay, start at the beginning. <laughs> um, scale-ups, well, startups and scale-ups need to be able to stand out from the crowd. They're often looking to generate more eyeballs on their offering. And they need to, they need to, that people, out. Oh, people need to know that they exist. Um, but they also want to retain their limited customer base because they don't want to lose them to bigger competitors in the mm -hmm. market, which is a very real threat. And pretty much content marketing nails all those, helps them hit all those nails on the head. So yeah. it helps them achieve all of that. It highlights their, their personality, their expertise. It can also help you passively nurture leads via different formats of content. Um, and it, yeah, it shows your, your awesomeness, how um, you're knowledgeable about certain topics, which can all help you stand out from the crowd. So ensuring people buy from you and not anybody else. Okay. And how does social media marketing play into this? 
Social media is really important. It acts as a megaphone for your brand, pretty much. Um, so you can use it to promote and distribute your content to a wider audience, giving mm -hmm. your brand awareness a boost. Uh, it's another platform also for you to share your personality and your expertise and shout, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> from how about how you're different from your competitors. So it's really important that it, content marketing and social media marketing go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, be present on the platforms that your target audience is on, connect with them, listen to them, be a part of conversations by posting or commenting and keep building that awareness uh, for your brand and your offering. Uh, okay. So it, it generally, I don't know about you, but what, uh, what I found out over time is that uh, startups have basically two problems. One is, um, with uh, content marketing one is that uh, they know they have a lot of knowledge but they don't have a lot of time to uh, put that online and the second is uh, yeah what, what what people refer to as imposter syndrome why should they listen to me i'm just a startup how how can you give me some some feedback on, on both of those arguments <laughs> Um, yeah, no, those are very valid. I think the first one is the one I encounter the most. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say that there it's, it's starting small um, and knowing why you want to post content. So, you know, don't do it because your competitors are doing it. Have a really clear reason why you want to post and then mm -hmm. start small. If you don't have time to write five blogs per month, start with one. If you don't have, if you're really struggling with LinkedIn, Um, and building your personal brand, start by commenting a bit more and then one post a week. Um, you don't have to instantly go zero to 100. So mm -hmm. start, you know, if you want to start posting blogs, okay, start with how many per month is the dream goal and break that down. How can you, achieve, what does that mean? So you want to post two blogs per month. How much time would that take you? If it takes you eight hours, okay, Would that be a day that you'd prefer to block off or would that be two days or eight hours over a week? So really breaking it down into concrete goals um, can really make it feel more manageable. Mm -hmm. um, and then as for imposter syndrome, <laughs> I think we've all been there <laughs> yeah. posting on LinkedIn. Uh -huh. um, I would say that um, it's, it's easier said than done, but you should just do it because you're, you, know, you started your company for a reason you saw a gap in the market, you've talked to consumers, you saw mm. that there was you know, something you could do to help them and you have that passion to even develop a whole company around that. So use yes. that, that core that, that started, that made you start your business as kind of a boost of confidence. Like you're serving people, you have paying customers. So people mm -hmm. do value what you bring to the table um, and just do it. <laughs> um, I'm going to be yeah, kind of cliche and say, just try it. And get feedback because especially with, with content marketing, there's not too much that can go wrong. Worst case scenario, you publish a blog and nobody sees it. You've wasted time, but you haven't wasted any money. You haven't, nothing's bad happened. So you can just, you know, you can see why have people not seen it or hear from customers. Oh, that's not what you wanted to hear from me. So then we need to write a different blog. But also the, the negative is pretty small. Yeah. There's and, and the negative is there anyway. No. It's as we say in Holland, you have the no, you can get the yes. No. No. Ah. 
So the, yeah, I think that those are both uh, valid points. Uh, also, really to start from, uh, I, I liked uh, the one about starting from your own core um, uh, reason why you do this. And the fact that you, if you, especially if you have paying customers, there's uh, apparently there's a story to be told. Yeah. And even if you value. don't, uh, I, I think it's really important to uh, to share the knowledge and, and the wisdom you've built up. No. Because you're serving people, and that's basically the mindset I train people to have. Look at this from a serving perspective, not necessarily from uh, putting uh, um, putting your hand on your chest and saying, "How hey, look at me being wonderful." No, yeah, it's not about you. It's about your no. customers. Yeah, that's and that's what what people who comment negatively or uh, mostly forget It's that you have a journey to to share that's inspiring to others. No, yeah, exactly. So, so let's uh, switch to copywriting a, a bit. Um, so uh, as I understand it, you write copy for websites and social medias, uh, media uh, and for blogs. That's mm -hmm. quite specific work. Um, yeah. Is, is there a specific process that you use to, to write, uh, for instance, a blog post? There is. I, I've just over the years refined, <laughs> refined my own system luckily. Mm -hmm. um, so I usually help my clients not only with writing, but also setting an agenda and deciding on content ideas. So always start with choosing a topic. That's kind of the base. Um, and so this topic will be based on your audience pain points, your audience desires, and also um, oftentimes SEO research will be um, embedded in there. And then once you have a topic, um, um, I start off by researching. So before I can even write, I will read a lot. Um, so this helps me understand what to cover in the blog, what not to cover, what everyone else is saying, the questions I have after reading through a lot of material. So I'll read uh, what competitors have written about it and also like the three, the, the first three to five pages of Google search results on the topic. And then I'll Google more questions I have and see how that topic is maybe connected to another topic. Um, so pretty much I go down a rabbit hole and just fill my head with information. Mm -hmm. um, and during this time, I'll take notes. So this helps me craft an outline for a blog. It'll include statistics, um, uh, questions, sections to include, uh, answers that people often gave or things to not say because that's been covered. Um, so the, the outline will form during the research. Um, and then if possible, I'll take a small break because after researching, it's good to digest all the information and your brain kind of keeps making connections. So I'll just go for a walk maybe yeah. or cook. And then from there, I'll get to writing. Um, so because my outline's pretty complete, uh, yeah, the writing part's pretty easy by that point. So I'll just write up a first draft and let that sit and then revisit it again. So editing words, my maybe grammar mistakes, making paragraphs more powerful or removing sentences that don't make sense or that don't add anything. So this is when the blog really comes together mm -hmm. and then that's it. And then it's done. So I'll send it to the client for a read through. And on average, that process takes me about five to six hours in total for a lengthy blog of about 2000 words. So that's including the, uh, the research that you do. Yeah. Because that's quite quick. Yeah, well, I mean, that's about three and a half, four hours. So I'll spend more than 50% of the time researching. And often, even when writing, 
I'll do a bit more research because I'll be like, oh, like somebody mentioned this. Where did they get the statistic or somebody? So yeah, it'll come really, up really again. Really been through to, to find a core. No, no. Okay. That's, uh, yeah, the, the way I do it is usually I, I do also start with the, uh, try to find uh, a good topic, but I always start writing the uh, outline, the sort of argumentation tree. So the point that I want to make, make sure that, that it ends at uh, the call to action. And then I, uh, but then I start doing a lot of research indeed, but I mm -hmm. generally, I take a bit more time reading it, uh, all those links, finding out, uh, what others say, uh, also finding relevant others. Yeah. So not, not all, uh, also looking at uh, the first three to five pages, not, I'm, I'm a huge nitpicker on, okay, this is a relevant competitor. Oh yeah. Maybe this is. Like I work for a um, medical startup or two medical startups now, and I try to avoid uh, the, the competitors with pharmaceutical solutions because both are not in that space. No, no. So that's well, and I thing. don't doubt their research is even more important in the medical yeah. sector, but also um, something to be wary of that I always pay attention to is the um, when you find statistics, how old are they? Yeah. And where are they from? Because they'll mm -hmm. be like, I remember once I was writing a blog and everybody was citing that exact same statistic. It was like, people are using the exact same word every single time. Is that because that's actually true or because one person jumped on the hype train? Yeah. And so making sure that statistics, that they're, they're true when they're cited, that is what they meant and not something else. Because it can be very easy to let off a part of a sentence and be like, 30% of people said this. It might not always be black and white. No. Yeah, there's this famous 95% uh, uh, of startups fail statistics, and I found yeah. out that it's not really 95%, not even close to 95%, to wow. be <laughs> wow. completely honest. So what's the actual statistic? Uh, I don't remember, but it's somewhere around uh, the 50 to 70% mark. So it's like, like really wow. way, way, way lower. Yeah. And I was like, uh, but, but the statistic originally was, uh, if I remember, if I researched this correctly, I think it was about co starting companies. So that's uh, a lot of uh, companies fail in the first six months. Why? Mm -hmm. Because they run out of money, they run out of ideas or uh, life takes over. Yeah. And if you include that, yeah, then 95% of starting mm. companies fail. But mm -hmm. do they really fail? Yeah. Or do yeah. they just find out, hey, there's different things to be done? No, no. Yeah, it's really Which about I the don't. wording. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, the, and especially when, once you're past the, the funding, uh, first funding round, so uh, generally angels or uh, seed and pre-seed, then still the number is quite high, but then it goes down to the around 50, 60% mark, I think. Mm. Mm. But there, there's, there's, and still everyone starts a block with 95% of startup fails. Yeah, yeah. Well, not well, really. That's, yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. So uh, I want to switch a bit to um, 
to marketing strategy because uh, setting up a blog and and doing the research up front, deciding where to uh, what to write about is also a bit about strategy. Um, um, what makes a good strategy for startups and scale-ups uh, and beyond? Of course, align it should align with objectives and uh, match with your brand voice and what have you. I mean, that's, that's a really good question, and I don't doubt those are common answers. And honestly, if you hadn't said apart from that, I would have given them too. Yeah. <laughs> they're good. They're good basics to remember. They are important. Mm. Um, but uh, there are a few other aspects to keep in mind when, when creating uh, a content strategy. And the first, I'd say, is that your strategy is based on your audience, not your company. So your audience should always be at the forefront of your marketing efforts. So provide your marketing person or team with customer insights. Talk to your sales, talk to your customer mm -hmm. success, give them your buyer's persona, hear what, like, what is um, issues towards conversion? What are, what are, what are our customers saying once they've tried our, our software? Um, make sure that, yeah, the marketeer that in your, marketeer in your company really is armed of all of that knowledge because that'll help shape your content strategy. Mm -hmm. I would also include a, distribution process within your content strategy meaning think how you'll how you'll use each piece of content beyond just publishing it on your website will you post it on linkedin will you share it via email will you you know will your sales team use it in conversations with leads or at events um you want to maximize the use of each piece of content rather than mass publish and if you think even before you start to write how you'll use each piece that can really also help some simplify and make the the workflow of creating content more efficient because you're like oh i'm creating an faq we're also going to publish it on linkedin one question per week and we're going to share a hint of it in a newsletter you can kind of do all of it in one go um, and that, that, that way you uh, what i learned you also repurpose the content that you create anyway so it's yeah. much more efficient right yeah yeah exactly like it's not just then later on you have 45 blogs and you're like oh what do I do with these now? And you have to rethink about it, do all the thinking beforehand. So then the creation process is also just more streamlined and more efficient. And this is really important when you're, you know, a smart a startup or a scale up and often your marketing team is like one or two people. Mm -hmm. You really want to make sure that every marketing, you're making the most of every marketing asset and touch point that you have. Um, yeah. And then another thing that I would say is um, include content audits every quarter. So when you revisit, you know, what's been working, what's not, um, yeah, look at what you've published, what did well, what could be better, what uh, could be used more, what tanked, because, you know, not everything's going to be, <laughs> not everything's going to be a winner. Mm -hmm. um, but you, yeah, you don't want to let your published content sit on a shelf and gather dust. Use, you know, yeah. what you learn about it as feedback. What did people like? What did Google like in terms of ranking? What keywords performed well? What pages were really visited? Um, and use that to optimize your content strategy and gather more information about, yeah, your, your customer preferences. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the top three that are elements that are often forgotten. The list yeah. could go on. <laughs> there yeah, are definitely yeah, some yeah. other aspects. <laughs> um, but I would say those are, those are the top three uh, okay, that I think companies often forget about. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um... In terms of KPIs, what kind of KPIs would you then link to those? 
Ooh, so I don't have one straightforward answer because mm -hmm. I would say you should match your KPIs to the stage of the sales funnel and the goal that you're looking to achieve with each, with each piece of content because mm -hmm. not all content serves the same role. So for yeah. example, if you're focusing on raising your brand awareness, something which I often work with with startups, uh, that's usually the, the goal of the first six months of publishing blogs, uh -huh. yeah. raise our brand awareness. Yeah. So you want to be sure that you're writing high level, more SEO friendly content. Well, for looking at KPIs for that, you might look at the number of new website visitors coming to your site, uh, time spent on page, and scroll depth. That'll all tell you, okay, are people liking it? Are people reading it? Mm -hmm. However, if you're looking, if you recently published like a frequently asked, frequently asked questions page or a competitor comparison site, you might want to look at the number of signups generated for that page or click-through rate to another important page like your pricing page mm -hmm. um, or contact requests. Uh, because that would be more for bottom of the funnel type of content. Mm -hmm. So every piece of content should have its own roles and therefore, yeah, their own KPIs that should match that. Clear. Uh, so you help companies find their brand voice. Yeah. Uh, and you also have a workshop about that for freelancers, which yep. we'll discuss in a bit. But what is a brand voice? Well, you probably want your online voice to sound a certain way when you write. You want to communicate certain aspects of your brand or your personality. So your brand voice is just that. It's, it's your personality. It's how you show up across all forms of communication from your website copy to a LinkedIn post to uh, blogs, newsletters, all of that. But let's make it a bit more concrete just to give you an idea. Imagine mm -hmm. you go to a dinner party. How would you show up? How would people describe you? Are you outgoing and loud? Are you bubbly and the one talking with everybody? Are you mm -hmm. a bit more quiet and reflective and talking about very deep conversations with one or two people? Yeah. And what would you be talking about? What topics do you want to avoid? That dinner party guest is like your brand voice. So that's kind of how I always like to, to picture it for my clients. Okay. And do you take that from, let's say, the founder perspective? So do you really personalize that around the, the founder or do you uh, take a sort of hybrid that uh, uh, or avatar that would work for the customer? It really depends on uh, the stage of the company. So if it really is just like small startup of a mm -hmm. team of like three, then it would be more of the founder's perspective. And it's also obviously the customer, their target audience and their offering does play a role in all of that but it mm -hmm. would be based on the founder's perspective. If it's more of a scale up where they already have, you know, 15, 20 employees, it might be founder, CEO, CMO, maybe head of sales or somebody like all the right decision makers would all get a say. And then it would be a bit more of an interactive process where everybody gets to get a bit of a say and help decide rather than just one person, because by that point, the founder might not be as involved or not, might not be the only one dictating all the decisions in the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, how do you do this in terms of content approval? Because uh, you also send uh, f uh, blogs and, and I guess also social media posts to, to the, back to the customer. Mm -hmm. um, do you then ask for input from only the person, so let's say the chief marketing officer or the person responsible for marketing, or just do you also involve other people? I think it quite depends. I would say, yeah, it really depends per client. Um, some of them I've had 
the CMO and the co and the the the, the founder look at it. Mm-hmm. However, oftentimes uh, I do try and keep it to one person because the more people you have involved, the more feedback you get, the messier it gets, and the more well, I prefer this or I prefer yeah. that kind of feedback you get, mm-hmm. which is more difficult to work with than actually this is not what we do and this a customer wouldn't resonate with. Yeah. Um, so it really depends on the the client, I'd say. But I, to, I try and keep it at one person. And in order to achieve that, usually beforehand, there'll be a lot of like, I'll ask for product demo and a chat with the CMO to understand mm-hmm. the brand voice, the persona. So get a lot of background information and show that I can understand it. So then... Also, when I present them with a piece of content, it reflects everything they've already given to me. Yeah, and, uh, especially that last bit is uh, really important to yeah. them too. Uh, so uh, many startups are still, uh, especially early stage, they're still changing a lot. Uh, how do you then... Uh, uh, find your brand voice in a way that it sort of has some continuous uh, continuity to it, or do you let the change be the continuous factor in that? I mean, a bit in that, like developing your brand voice is an ongoing process. It's not mm-hmm. a, a one-off thing that you do that then cool. These are these are a brand voice forever, yeah. and we can never change. So it should definitely evolve with you as your company evolves. Yeah. Um, so, you know, always keep in mind your target audience, your competitors, and your, your brand values. And as those change, it's definitely good to adapt your brand tone of voice. Um, so, yeah, periodically, I'd say review it. Like what you start off with, ideally, your branding is always going to be your core. Um, mm-hmm. So that will evolve, but it's not going to dramatically change 180. And it'll yeah. be the same with your brand voice. Ideally, it'll evolve, but it, you're not going to go from being the funny, friendly neighbor next door to super serious, 100, you know, like only professional, whatnot. Like that would alienate the target base that you've accumulated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is good to review it. So periodically, once a year, review your company position, your brand voice, and adjust it. Learn, like, oh, people have found that our more personal content and funny side really resonates with them. So let's make sure that our content is a bit more fun. Yeah. Um, you can definitely, yeah. Um, um, evolve it like that as long as you keep reviewing it yeah I'd say about once a year and then make sure that you have a plan to train and educate all of your employees on every year what that means what Uh is your tone of voice yeah yeah, how that impacts them and their all forms of communication because I think that's Mm. usually the biggest disconnect is decision stake like C-level executives will have this great idea and then the salesperson that's calling is like I don't know what that means for me yeah so making sure that you update your employees every single time that you you make a, a small change. Uh, communication about that is re- really important, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it can often be forgotten. Yeah. But that's something I've I've done usually when I help companies um, decide their on well, um, uh, not decide but uh, find their brand voice. Usually, one of the biggest things I'll do after is create a PowerPoint and do a presentation for the whole team. And whenever somebody new comes in customer success or another freelancer or a marketeer, I'll present to them that tone of voice so everybody knows what it is. Yeah, and that's incredibly important to to, to do that handover. No. And also good, to, uh, I th- think, to, to review the, the brand voice to make sure there's uh, you have a point in time where you say, okay, now we can develop it a bit further. And... Uh, I guess also that's where the, the uh, audits come in, the content audits come in. Yeah. Because then, yeah. then you find out what 
what works for your customer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So audit your brand, audit your content. It's good to always kind of reflect, especially as you're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first five, 10 years, it's really good to kind of see, okay, what's been going well, what hasn't. Yeah. So uh, I have an arrangement with one of my previous guests, uh, Jacqueline van den Ende, to make this podcast irrelevant uh, in around 10 years from now. And irrelevant here means that diversity in tech uh, does not need uh, a lot of attention anymore because it's considered normal. Uh, maybe then it's the topic is still relevant, but who knows? Uh, so, But what would be your uh, content marketing advice to achieve this? What things should I do? Ooh, um, a really good question. I love this. Um, I would say for starters, yeah, keep the conversation going. So, you know, keep chatting about it. Keep bringing this issue front and center. Keep, yeah, I mean, keep bringing a light to it. However, um, I, for me, I would say rather than highlighting it as a like, you know, very obvious of like, the, you know, like we need more women in tech and whatnot. Yeah, highlighting success stories, highlighting yeah different areas of expertise, highlighting in passively how we can make this happen and achievements and or room for improvement. Because I think the, you know, the doom and gloom and the keep being super obvious is what turns people off. However, managing to embed that conversation somehow in almost every aspect of people's lives is then really gets people thinking and just like even subconsciously. So I think being a part of the conversation, but not in an obvious way, no. Is, is really the biggest way of, of doing it. And then hopefully, yeah, down the line, you don't have to be a part of the conversation because people don't even, like, people realize it and it's just part of part of our way of thinking and it's mm. no longer a thing anymore. Yeah. And I like also the, the part about uh, putting a positive spin on it, like like highlighting people who have been, uh, or women who have been successful. No. I think that's, uh, that's an important part that will yeah. be an important important part uh, of the success of this uh, podcast. No. No, I mean, that's, that, I, that comes from um, the fact that, for example, the narrative of global warming, they've shown that yeah. showing the doom and gloom over and over again yeah. is actually like turning people off from the conversation. And so now there's years of, oh, we're all going to, you know, the world's going to end in 2030, the world, like the oceans are going to rise and whatnot. There's mm-hmm. years of undoing of work because that doesn't resonate. And after a while, people are just like, I don't know what to do about it. So I'm not going to try to, you know, have women be a part of tech because nothing I do, I can't help. It's not empowering. Is it? Is it also about that it's considered uh, too difficult? Not because we don't know how to do it, but because there are so many uh, things you have to take into account? Yeah. That, and it's uh, also like, what can I do? Me as yeah, my little, yeah. you know, one person team, what, what can I do about it? I mean, I can, you know, talk to my friends, but that's it. And what does that do? So I don't know how I can make an impact, but individuals can sometimes make the biggest impact. I was about to say, especially the talking to, to friends and family about it. I, th- I think that's a, a really wonderful thing to do. I would agree. If, if if you do it positively and out of passion, not not no. necessarily a, a thou shall do this or it, the world will end if we don't do this. Yeah. Because I I do uh, I do agree with the the point you made about the climate. It's sometimes made. Uh, everyone knows that we have a problem, and it's uh, sometimes we sort of miss the fun factor in it. No, I mean, what am I supposed to do about it? I turn off all my lights when I'm not in a room. Now what? 
Yeah. Well. So, sounds like a good uh, point to uh, go to the last uh, question in uh, in the conversation. Um, you have a uh, workshop coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps you can tell us a bit about what that workshop is about. Uh, brand voice, of course, but uh, yeah. how how, uh, how it can help so startups and scale-ups. Well, I'll be honest, right now the workshop is geared towards very small teams slash more freelancers, so uh -huh. teams of one <laughs> to three. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, it's pretty much, um, it's more towards freelancers or, or startups where it really is one or two people, um, so small scale, um, and it's to pretty much help you find your personality online and make sure that you're coming off in an authentic manner when you're writing so that people know who you are, love your personality, are attracted to you for your personality. And so pretty much you're attracting your ideal client and you're repelling people you don't want to work with all via just your content online. Um, so in two hours, I help freelancers or founders um, yeah, find their brand voice based on their target audience and their offering. Um, and then we'll go, the bulk of the time will be spent on defining those adjectives that you want to embody. What does that mean for you? How will they show up? How will it not show up? And we'll also um, write a post together. So that therefore you can really practice hands-on. Yeah, how does that yeah. mean? Because it's one yeah. one thing to have an idea. It's another to then be like, okay, to execute now on what? It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we also do that together in the workshop to really be sure that you understand. And um, But I will highlight the fact that no matter what, it's good to experiment. So when you're just starting off, play around yeah. with it. Play with what feels good. Play with, you know, tweaking the wording and, and yeah. you know, kind of how you want to come off. Um, because, yeah, that's then when you really try and embody those, those adjectives and how, how you want to show up. Cool. Yeah. Uh, where can find people find the information about the workshop and about other, the other work you do? LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the best uh, platform to connect with me for now. So yeah, look me up. I'm Livia Hirsch and feel free to reach out and connect with me. Say hi. Uh, that's also where you can find out more information about the, the workshop or, for example, let me know what you thought about this episode of podcast. Um, yeah. So yeah, LinkedIn is where to find me. Good. And we'll, uh, we'll include the uh, ex examples and uh, uh, the links to the workshop and to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So, nice. Livia, thanks for this uh, wonderful conversation. And uh, listeners, thanks for listening. See yeah. you uh, next time. Thank you so much for your time. It was really fun to chat with you today. Yeah, it was. Thanks. Thanks. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. Livia and I hope that you enjoyed our conversation. You can find all the links to Livia's website, social media profiles, and to her workshop in the show notes, and those you can find at womendisruptingtech.blog. On womendisruptingtech.blog, you can also subscribe to updates, so you are the first to learn when new episodes go on air. If you want to listen to more episodes of Women Disrupting Tech, please follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, and Google. And if you do, we'd love for you to leave us a review or a rating because that way you help others discover this podcast. And if you want to contribute to the goal of having more diversity in tech, please share this podcast with fa friends, family, and co-workers because this way you give my guests the platform they need to make this podcast irrelevant 
10 years from now. Finally, if you want to connect with me, you can do that via the website uh, and via my LinkedIn profile. Just look up my name and you'll find me. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you in the next episode.